You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I'm not really political. People will say you're a left-wing Democrat, but I believe that this cause is not political. It's a matter of right and wrong and not a matter of right and left. Anti-war activist Cindy Sheehan today on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. After a U.S. Army soldier named Casey Sheehan was killed in action in Iraq in 2004, his mother Cindy Sheehan became one of the loudest anti-war activists in America. What made her different from others, though, was that Cindy Sheehan was not content to simply join protests or demonstrations or rallies or write letters. She set up a makeshift camp outside President George W. Bush's Texas ranch. Now, that brought her international attention, but also made her many enemies as well as allies. In 2006, Cindy Sheehan wrote a memoir called Peace Mom. I met her during one of her visits to Washington, D.C. that year. And as you're about to hear in this interview, we did our interview outdoors and had a little interruption. You'll hear what it is. So here now, from 2006, Cindy Sheehan. A lot of it is to set the record straight. There's a lot of wild speculation and things going around about about my son, about my relationship with my son, and um, my family life and, you know, my motivations for what I'm doing. And so it is about setting the record straight, but it's just just telling the story in a, a longer format than short interviews or, or sound bites or having things totally taken out of context. Is this the first time then that you've had the, the opportunity to really tell the full story from beginning to end without, as they say, commercial interruption? Yes, yeah, absolutely, it, it was, and I hope everything in it, I poured my heart into this book. Um, it was so hard to write. I sat writing with a box of Kleenex next to me um, the entire time I was writing it. I would be writing it on airplanes, just, you know, crying my eyes out, and I'm sure people were just looking at me like, well, what's wrong with her? But um, it, it was, it, in... Um, the book, I say it's the second hardest thing I've ever had to do. The first hardest thing was burying my son. The second hardest thing is reliving it. Would third on the list be putting up with all the slings and arrows that you've put up with since you went public? No, that's way, way down the list. Um, I really try not to pay attention to um, the hate, the smears, the lies, um, the concerted campaign against me uh it's getting smaller it's some sometimes it's you know more viler than before because it is condensed but i really try to stay focused my mission is too important what i'm doing is too important to get bogged down in um you know the right wing attacks on me but you had to know at the outset that you were as it were opening a can of worms you knew that people were going to come out of the woodwork and come after you didn't you um, I didn't really have any idea that that would happen. It, I started um, this campaign actually really during the 2004 elections. I was working against George Bush. I had a few um, hate mails then. When I founded Gold Star Families for Peace and became in January of 2005, became more prominent, the attack started getting a little more vehement when... But they, I didn't really know what it was like until I testified 
for John Conyers at the Downing Street Memo hearings, and then all four of us, all four of the the um, witnesses, myself, Joe Wilson, everybody knows who Joe Wilson, a distinguished ambassador, Ray McGovern, who was an analyst for the CIA for 27 years and also served his country um, in the military, and um, John Boniface, who is a constitutional expert, he's a lawyer and he's an expert on the Constitution, we were all all slammed and smeared. Of course, Joe Wilson already knew what that was like, you know, after his wife was outed. And um, it just, I was just really surprised. How could somebody attack a mother, you know, and th- and three people who have served their country so honorably, you know, and attack, the, attack a mother of somebody who served his country honorably. And I was surprised at that point, but by the time I went to Camp Casey, when I went to Camp Casey, I was under no illusion about what was going to happen to me. It becomes apparent from reading the reader reviews of your book on Amazon that a lot of these people haven't even read your book. They saw your name on it and decided they knew what the book was about and that they didn't like it. Um, That has happened with my other two books, too. And they just go and they... They, you know, say horrible things. I know that those kind of reviews can be deleted, but at this point it really, like you said, it's obvious. It's obvious that they haven't read the book, that, you know, they're just going off of their sound bites and, and the, the smear tactics that have been and the, the hate that's been leveled against me. Well, a year and a half or a year, a little over a year ago now, when you first camped out down at the president's ranch, you were almost a lone voice, a voice in the wilderness, and others have joined you now. Do you feel vindicated by that? Um, I don't feel vindicated, and I won't until the troops come home from Iraq, but what I do feel is more comfortable. It's more comfortable to be in a crowd than it is to be out in front of the crowd, and when I went to Crawford, Texas last year, I was one of the only ones publicly saying the words like illegal and immoral, genocide, impeachment, um, calling George Bush a terrorist and saying that he is waging a war of terror against the people of Iraq. But now, like you said, there's senators, congresspeople, mainstream people, movie stars, rock stars. You know, over 60% of America have joined me in, um, in my thinking. And it just is a little more comfortable, but I'm still seeing, even though I am mainstream America, it seems like I still am the focus of, of the right wing and their, um, you know, their animosity. I have seen recent criticism, though, even from Democrats who say that you're, you're meeting with Hugo Chavez or, or this or that or the other thing, I'll call on this, to say that this is your, you've lost your focus, that you're, that you're going all over the map. Have you lost your focus? Are you going all over the map? Well, my focus is to bring the troops home from Iraq. And people in this country don't understand Hugo Chavez. You know, they call him a communist dictator, and he's neither a communist nor a dictator. And I can't believe the same people who don't believe George Bush and his lies about Iraq believe their their smear campaign against Hugo Chavez and their smear campaign, and they're lying about um, what's going on in Iran. And, uh, you know... Hugo Chavez says some inflammatory things. The president of Iran says inflammatory things. But they have, you know, the right to defend their countries. And I I believe that that's what they're trying to do. Um, I'm not really political. 
you know, people will say you're uh, you're a left-wing Democrat, and I am a registered Democrat, but I believe that this cause is not political. It's a matter of right and wrong and not a matter of right and left, and I have held members of my own party to the same standards that I'm holding the members of the Republican Party. They're not calling for an immediate withdrawal. They're not distancing themselves from George Bush and, and his war of terror. A lot of Republicans are. You know, they're they don't, not letting George Bush or anybody from his administration come to their fundraisers. But the Democrats aren't um, speaking out loudly against what's going on. And I'm very terrified that um, the Democrats aren't going to take back the House in um, November if they don't get loud and strong and distance themselves from this administration and the crimes against humanity that they're um, creating. After this short break, the fantasy scenario that Cindy Sheehan put in her book that made so many people so mad. Now back to my 2006 interview with Cindy Sheehan. I have to tell you also, in 21 years of interviewing, I've learned that most books, nonfiction books, there's one little quote, one little anecdote that the media will pull out of there and magnify and say, I'm going to wait for the helicopter. That's a close one. (laughs) You know, they'll have one little story. In your book, it seems to be this fantasy that you had about going back in time and somehow committing the assassination of the baby George W. Bush. Was, what did you intend with that story? Just to, to, first of all, you know, it is a fantasy. I don't have a time machine. You know, I want to tell Tucker Carlson and all the people right now that, that I don't have a time machine. And right after I say that, I say, but I could never kill anybody. You know, um, and I could fantasize about things like that. I can wish that George Bush was never born. I can wish that Osama bin Laden was never born. I can wish that I was never born. But nothing is going to bring my son back. And people, seems to me, is I, they're really rushing to criticize me and how I grieved my son when they've never buried a child. And I want, that's what I want to tell America how painful it is to bury a child for lies especially and for deceit and try to prevent it from happening to another mother. Let me ask you, uh, again, on a, on a serious note, you mentioned in the book that you have contemplated suicide a couple of times. What has kept you from actually carrying, carrying that out? Well, after Casey was killed, the pain is just so real, and the pain is still there. You know, you just learn how to live with it and go through your your daily activities. It's like, I guess, when people are in physical pain and, you know, they want to to end their pain. And um, there's there's no way to assuage the pain of of grief. You know, some people take pills. I, I don't, I was taking sleeping pills for a while. It didn't help me, so I stopped taking them. But, um... When I was still taking them, I would have the bottle in my hand, and I would think it would be so easy to take this entire bottle and fall asleep and never wake up. But that was the easy way out, and that was the coward's way out. And I knew that I couldn't do that. I knew I couldn't put my family through um, burying another family member. And my three kids are what kept me alive. Does your work end the day all the troops come home? 
No. Um, that was a mistake of the Vietnam anti-war movement, that it was an anti-war movement. And when the troops came home, the movement kind of dissipated. I think that we have to quit calling it anti-war movement. It has to be a peace movement. I've um, founded the Camp Casey Peace Institute, and um, the headquarters are in Crawford, Texas, in the land that I bought. And we are going to work for true and lasting peace, and we're going to educate America and um, tell them, not don't give your children to this war machine that only wants to eat them out and spit them, eat them up and spit them out for profit. Will a Democrat in the White House in the next election help? Um, no, we're going to have to hold that person to the same standards that we've held George Bush. Uh, I call, I think that America has a one-party system. I call it the war party, and it's the conservative and the neoconservative um, element of the war party. And um, I think in matters of, of war, the Republicans and Democrats get their strings pulled and their pockets lined by the same people. And, um, you know, in matters of social issues, you give me a Democrat any day, you know, and I think they do marvelously on that. But if the troops are still in Iraq and if we have a Democratic president, then we'll put a Camp Casey where, where that person lives. The reason I wrote my book is, you know, not only to tell my story, but also to let people in the world know that don't buy into the bull crap that one person can't make a difference. I bought into that. That's why I didn't demonstrate. I just thought my voice would be, you know, a, a drop in an ocean of, of other voices, and it, and it wouldn't make a difference if I spoke out against it. And I think that I have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that not only can one person make a difference, one person can make a profound difference in um, the world. And you don't have to... What I did was very simple. You know, I just went down and I, I sat in a ditch. And anybody can do that. Anybody can do what I did. And you don't have to do something like that. If you just make one person's life better, then you're making the world better. And you're making your own life better. So I just think that people need to, to get out of their, their little nuclear comfort zones and reach out to other people and try to do whatever they can to make the world a better place because they can make the world a better place. Cindy Sheehan is 64 now. She hosts a weekly radio show and has a blog called Cindy's Soapbox. And you can find easy Amazon links to Cindy Sheehan's book at our website, heardeverything.com. And while you're at heardeverything.com, be sure and listen to my interview with the mother of another fallen soldier who came to national attention, my 2008 interview with Pat Tillman's mother, Mary Tillman. Pat died in Afghanistan, but the Abu Ghraib prison scandal was breaking. Fallujah was in chaos. The president's approval rating was dismal. So I think that this grandiose story about Pat was meant to deflect. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything. 65 years ago, she and eight other students made news when they simply tried to enroll at a high school in Little Rock, Arkansas. Thing is, they're African-American. It was an all-white school that hadn't been integrated yet. 
my 1994 interview with one of the members of the Little Rock Nine, Melba Patillo Beals. We expected that Governor Faubus would say something like, okay, I'm not for integration. This is the law. Let's follow it. Instead, he said, if those Negro children come to our school, blood will run in the streets. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson.